Hey, welcome back to the Yisod Blocks podcast channel. Uh, this channel is for foundational, transformational Torah. It's about making the Torah more alive, uh, or even just encountering it as alive and real and deep and intelligible and coherent and integrated, where all the parts kind of fit together and really make sense and we understand what it is that we're talking about, as opposed to a more fragmented perspective and where we sort of just learn random parts of the Torah and sort of talk about it more in a very vague religious sort of sense. So here we're really trying to sort of put it together and understand it in a very deep level. If you like what you hear, there's also a lot more of this type of content on our YouTube channel. Also the same name, Yisod Blocks. And in this, this is really episode 7 in the Nefesh Chaim series, which is a series that focuses on a book called Nefesh Chaim. And you can check out the older episodes if you want to get more background on that book. But right now we are in chapter 5 in the first section of Nefesh Chaim. And chapter 5 is sort of just continuing with this discussion that the whole first section of the book is really dealing with, which is sort of like the layering of reality. In other words, sort of the system of how Hashem differentiates himself from being an endless, almost an ocean of consciousness, and differentiates himself down. We use the, we use the language of down to sort of descri- describe this. Differentiates himself down into the micro you know, versions or expressions or, or uh, aspects of the universe that we experience. So we have a very diverse universe full of different things, and Hashem essentially is diversifying himself and differentiating himself into being all of these things. So the whole universe that we live in is, you can kind of think of it as a construct inside of Hashem's consciousness, and we are simply surrounded by condensed uh, consciousness fragments that are all around us, and we also ourselves are a part of that system. And so this chapter 5 has been sort of dealing with how uh, and the last couple of chapters about how human beings, because we also are consciousness fragments, in other words, whereas everything else in the universe is a consciousness fragment condensed into a physical form, we are a consciousness fragment condensed into a physical form that also has a consciousness aspect, because we ourselves actually are conscious. So if we think of Hashem as being an ocean of consciousness that is being differentiated into physical forms, so then that means that when you think about that a little carefully and then you think about what we are, so we have bodies that are part of the physical universe, they are physical uh, tools, and then we are also consciousness fragment beings that are manifest through our bodies inside of the system. And of course you have to understand a lot of details about that, like for example, how is it po- like how do we talk about a Shem sort of like breaking himself up into parts? Is that really what, we're, what we mean here? And it's not exactly literal in that sense. And so I would not recommend that you walk around saying things like, well, Hashem broke himself into parts because Hashem is sort of beyond this whole uh, physical set of systems that we, that, we, that we experience through our bodies. But the overall description we've been working with for now, and again, these, a, lot of, a lot of this involves analogies that you have to really think through carefully and deeply. And don't get too attached to any one analogy because each of them describes one facet of this reality, and they all integrate and fit together. When you take one analogy and go too far with it, that's when it starts to cause problems. And so for now, we're just working with these these perspectives, but we're going to deepen this further and further with more and more analogies as we go. So don't be too attached to it. And right now we are on page 12 uh, in p- uh, chapter 5. It's right in the middle of chapter 5. And it's uh, we're about to start. This is in the in the standard edition of Nefshachayim. And uh, we are about to start with the what's called the Haggah. It's sort of like a section inside 
of chapter 5 where the Nefshachim sort of pauses and starts talking about something that's just kind of like a side point for himself, but obviously it's not really a side point. It's more just like an expansion on a main point that he sort of added afterwards. And so what we have been dealing with in, in, in this particular chapter is this whole system of what's called the Olamot, the Olamos, however you want to pronounce that. And the Olamos essentially refers to a way of describing the system of differentiation that Hashem uses to actually uh, diversify his self, his consciousness, into the specific uh, broken down and separated out elements of the universe. And we had these, and, and you know, these things are, are at the, in the beginning, when you first hear about them, it can seem like they're a little bit distant, like what exactly does this mean? But the tricky thing here is that you have to start realizing that you yourself operate with these olamos, like the whole way that we interact with each other, that we speak to each other, that we, that we connect to each other uses this set of set of tools called the olamos and you'll find you'll start to find that a lot of the concepts that are embedded in the ideas of the olamos um, are essentially you know now being discovered and discussed and, and and integrated in the worlds of psychology and behavioral economics and there's all kinds of ways that these things play out because the way that we work is really very consistent you know human beings uh, all sort of operate the same way even if it kind of looks different and has different results and different uh, formulations or permutations, but it's really all we are, we're all using the same basic ingredients to do things. And these olamos are really the beginning of understanding what those ingredients are and how we work. So we have to sort of follow the nefshachaim uh, slowly and carefully as he develops this whole system and puts it together, and then start to really un- understand sort of what it's doing and how we experience that and you know, how that really looks in our in our in our lives and in, in, in a in sort of like a very, very, again, real, alive kind of way. So, again, the predication here, the underlying assumption is that this is a map of human existence and of the universe's existence. And when you start to unpack that and take it seriously and really sort of examine what it's claiming, uh, the results can be very startling and they're extremely advanced. And it's unbelievable that we're looking at a system that is thousands of years old and yet it is now being uh, propagated in a way that is far more advanced than any other current thought system about how the universe functions and how human inter- interactions function and how connections between selves and people and the profoundness, profundity of, of people's relationships, which you know we sort of take for granted because we have relationships all the time, and yet here we're about to see a system that describes that in a way that's so much more advanced than you'd ever imagine something that's that old would actually be, and more advanced than any other system that's out there, which is really a wild claim. But, you know, you, you're going to see, and you already are seeing, if you've been listening to the earlier episodes, you're going to see what how, how much is going on here. So we had these four layers of the Olamos, and uh, they were the, they were the Chayos and the Ofanim and the, uh, the Kisea Kavod, and, and the Adam, that is the Atzilos concept. Um, and we sort of explained each of those things in the last uh, episode. So let's just start reading from the Haggah and let's see if we can start to add some new details here because you're going to see that now the Nefesh Chaim is going to start really uh, relating to that system and integrating it a little more carefully. And so if you just sort of take a look where it says that, where it says Haggah, so he says, So, because the essence of Adam, of a person, uh, or the essence, or the, the, the main part, really, of a person, is sort of implanted, lamala, above, beshoresh nishmaso, at the root of his neshama. So the word neshama, uh, you know, it's sort of one of these funny words, because there's a few different words in the Hebrew language for what we like to, people like to call in English the word soul, 
So, but the word neshama is, uh, it seems to be that it literally means breath. And the Torah uses that word in Parshas Bereshis to describe, which is the very first Parsha of the Torah, that's the book of Genesis, in the, in the creation of man. So the Torah describes um, how Hashem is vayipach be'apav nishmas chayim. Hashem blows into his nostrils of man the breath of life. So, and you know, the question with that is, so, you know, there's a lot of discussion of what that looks like exactly, because it seems like that, uh, you know, it, it, it caused, there's a few different problems with it. And when you analyze the text there pretty carefully, you start, and you sort of read some of the different Midrashim commentaries uh, from 2,000 years ago that deal with this question. So it seems like that's referring to a very intangible uh, insertion of something from Hashem's being over to Adam, which now leads Adam to being actually what he is, Adam. And in other words, that the idea that of something called the soul, that you have a soul and it's inside of your body or something like that, it starts with this pasuk, with this phrase, this verse. And that's what that, that, that seems to be referring to something which is Hashem sort of putting something inside of you, which people think of as the soul. But the tricky part is that you're going to learn about it now, that is exactly what we're saying sort of now, is that, that you are you you are not just, you don't just have a soul that Hashem breathed into you. It's that when Hashem is, is inserting this, this makes you what you are. So you are actually the self looking out through your eyes. You are you are what we call conscious. And so what, what Hashem is sort of breathing into you here is Hashem is actually breathing. He's not really breathing it. It's that Hashem is, you know, the idea of breathing is sort of sharing, um, energizing life force or animating life force. So here, that's really what we're, what we're talking about, where Hashem is essentially uh, injecting you with an energizing, animating life force, and that's what turns you on, like it literally makes you become alive. So and what we're talking about here to be alive is what the Torah describes it constantly over and over in different places, is it really means to be more and more and more self-aware. And we're going to have to analyze what that means, because what does it mean exactly to be self-aware? But as we go through that, you're going to start to see how the word neshama refers to consciousness. And human beings have this thing. We are conscious. We are able to, to experience ourselves and others outside of ourselves. And the idea of that loop where you are able to be yourself, but then also experience yourself, right? You're sort of operating as two different uh, frames of reference. Like when someone says, I want to find myself. So the I that is looking for the self those seem like they're two different characters in a certain sense because we have this looping phenomenon where you are actually self-aware, and so you can you can look for yourself and find yourself, and that's what we mean when we talk about self-awareness somewhat. So that phenomenon that you have the ability to do that is actually the key to all of the, the power that humanity has. All the things we're able to create and do in the world really stem from that. So we talk about our neshama. So what the idea of the soul is not that you have a thing called a soul inside of you, it's that you are a self that is essentially attached to a physical body, and you are now using that body to express that self that you are, and to encounter and experience that self that you are. And we're going to see there's so much more to the details of how this works, and when you, when you start to master those details, you can actually become more alive, become more awake. You know, there's this thing today called being woke. Like, to be woke means literally to be awake, to fully to be more and more and more self-aware, as opposed to being sort of like just a product 
of the world around you and a product of the perspectives of the people around you. The irony is that being woke is usually associated with particular perspectives about the world and about relationships and about governments. Where And that's the reason why that's ironic is because they are essentially, that, that, that approach sort of chooses sides in, a, in discussions about the way the world works and choosing sides is fundamentally about having only certain perspectives but not the largest, most inclusive perspectives. And so if you are truly woke, then you are not left or right. You are beyond both of those options, and you're something way bigger than that. And that's what we're talking about here, is being able to see how left and right are just sort of two distorted perspectives about the way that we think about things like governments and 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 political partying and all those things. So that's really, uh, you know, that that's what it really means to fully be woke. To really be awake means to be more conscious, more self-aware, more understanding of the different ways that you think and why you think those things and where they come from and how much of it is just your own ideas and how much of it is other people's ideas implanted on top of you that you just bought into without even realizing you were buying into them. And so that's what the Neshama here is going to be referring to. It's the self, the consciousness that you are. It's also a video about this on my YouTube channel, which you can check out if you want to get this more in depth. But uh, that's essentially here we're saying that so that the main part of what it means to be a person uh, is really this this thing which is attached all the way at the root of your neshama, which is above. And again, above here is an analogy for beyond. So if you're at a certain level of consciousness, a certain state of consciousness right now, you can become more conscious. Your consciousness can fluctuate. You can become more conscious. And then that's sort of what we call traveling upwards. Even though it's not literally up, your consciousness is not actually above you, but we tend to think of it as, you know, some of the, one of the famous analogies about this consciousness concept in the writings of Chazal and the Kabbalah is that consciousness is like this cloud that is above you, and it stretches all the way up, 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 almost infinitely up, and then you're slowly climbing this ladder towards greater and greater and greater consciousness, and so that ladder, that cloud ladder that is above you, so it's not literally above you, but the analogy is that above means beyond, and so there's more beyond, you know, what you are right now. You're trying to get to that. So, okay, so that's basically the concept here that he's going to start unpacking somewhat. And because there's like this ladder of consciousness that is going stretching from, you know, from down below from you, from, from where your body is right now, all the way up, all the way to the top of, the, of existence, so that's why the body is called a na'al, which means a shoe. And it also means a na'al from the word lean uh, ol, which means to lock. It's kind of like this thing which locks you in, like you're locked into this body. It's like a locked-in syndrome, which is, you know, certain. It's like uh, you're basically, you're, you're stuck to this body. And the body, when the body ter- turns off and dies, then suddenly the neshama is, is released from that. And you essentially are, you suddenly experience yourself much more fully as a neshama, as who and what you are. And a lot, a lot, a lot of layers of consciousness are suddenly accessible to you when your body turns off. We call that death. Um, and we're going to talk about that also as we go. But the point is that that's what the body is. It's sort of like operating as this shoe and also a, a, locked, uh, a locked shoe, a tied shoe that holds you inside. And so in a shoe, only the bottom part of you, the part of you which impacts the ground, is actually in the shoe. And then the rest of you is sort of like beyond the shoe. And here also, we're saying that the part of you which is inside the shoe, so that's the part that, it, that impacts the physical universe, that interacts with it. And the thing is, you can keep pulling in more and more and more parts of yourself into the shoe so that more and more of you can operate inside of the physical universe. You can be more and more and more activated 
as a, as a consciousness self inside the world. And we're going to talk about why you'd ever want to do that. And that's actually, you know, it's one way of describing the whole goal of life is to do that. So we're saying here, so that guf is a na'al, is a shu, neged neshama, which kind of works opposite the neshama. It's a, it's a tool that the neshama is engaged in. And he says, Because only the aspect of the heels, which really means the, the most basic part of your consciousness, actually is attached and inserted, and you're, you know, that you're using inside of the body of the Adam. So the heels essentially is like, it has a couple of connotations there. One of them is that it, the, word, the word akev, the word heel, sort of means uh, to follow, like to be a follower. That's why the word, like Jacob, one of the three uh, uh, forefathers of the, of the entire family of, of, of Israel. So his name, before, before his name became Israel, it was originally uh, Jacob. And in Hebrew, that's Yisrael and Yaakov. So Yaakov comes from the word akev, which means heel. And that's because the word akev really means to follow. And Yaakov was, he was born second in a set of twins, and he was the following child. And there's a long discussion about why he was named that. It's a problematic name. And he was then, his name was changed from following child to active warrior child, which is what the word Yisrael sort of means, like someone who's able to, to be a, a fighter in the world and to, to be proactive and make change happen. So that's what the name Yisrael sort of means. So, but the point is that the word akev means like this, it's like a following dynamic. And so if we say that the only part of your consciousness that's inserted into the body at first is the heels, the very bottom of the consciousness chain that goes all the way up to the top, to the, you know, the top of the system. So that's the following aspect, which is kind of, it's kind of a reference and an analogy for the fact that when you are inside of the body, so you experience the body in a very strong way, and you experience the world around you in a very strong way, and then you sort of follow along whatever the body and the world is telling you. So the body tells you, you are a body, you are just this, and whatever this thing wants, this body. So that's what you actually want. And so, and the world around you tells you, and these are the things you feel, or should feel, want to feel, and, and then you just sort of follow along constantly in what you are told you're supposed to feel. And there's a lot of a lot of complicated things that that the world is telling them. The world, ironically, is just other people's bodies, and each of them has discovered their own set of ideas about you know how they want the world to work, how they think the world does work, and they tell you things like, well, you know, you got to really make sure that you have a great career or you know, if you have if you have a lot of sexual interaction, it'll make you have more love in your life. Or if you want to feel less alone, then just have a lot, a lot, a lot of friends. There's all kinds of different ideas you could hear out in the world. Some of which have some truth. Some of them have some falsehood. I mean, usually they all have some of both. And the tricky part there is to not just be a follower, which basically means you are not woke, not awake, and not so conscious, but to actually wake up and try to assess and 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 be able to sort of pull back from the body and let there be more, like pulling back from the body allows more of your consciousness to wake up and to flow into the body. And then you no longer have to be bechinas akevayim, like this element of just the heels, the following part of the body. Uh, you can actually be more awake and more proactive and activated and actually choose how to, how to perceive reality and how to experience it. And so that's like really an empowerment and an activation type of concept, which is that you can really uh, turn on your consciousness at higher and higher and higher states, become more conscious and more 
separated from the body, and that allows you to then relate to the body much more as a tool that you can use to achieve what you want to achieve, as opposed to a, a product of the body where the body makes the calls and you just sort of follow along. And there's so many embedded ways that this happens where we're just sort of following what our body says and does. And so there's just, it's just really, it's, it's, it's an incredibly profound process to really start to realize you are not your body. And your body is just a tool that you can use. And, you know, there's so many, like just as an example, like people just say things like, well, I identify as X, Y, or Z. So if you have an identity that you think I am that, so there's this, this phenomenon in the sexual world, um, the idea of saying that I am straight or I am gay or anything like that. And, you know, these are terms that are fundamentally distorted because you are not your sexual drive. You are not the things that your body feels and wants in terms of sexual desire, as an example. So those things are things the body is, you know, it, it's, it's programmed into the body. The body has all these uh, tools that it comes with that, you know, are used for things like reproduction. And there's a way that they're wired. And there's a much, we're going to have a long discussion about that at some point. But um, that it's wired to want certain types of things in order to make sure that it reproduces. And so, you know, that kind of wiring, people have all kinds of perspectives about what that is and how that works and, you know, what that means for, their, for themselves. But when you start to say, I am straight or I am gay, things like that, which are essentially, you're now saying, I identify myself with these things, you are really saying, I am my body. And we are none of those things. We are not straight. We are not gay. We are nothing. We are self, not, not that we're nothing, nothing. We are none of those things. We are endless selves that are be, that are consciousness that are beyond the body, and the body turns off. And then when you know when your body turns off, you're not gay anymore, you're not straight anymore. You're none of those things because your body is actually where those things come from. It is the locus of sexual uh, energies. And so when you start to realize you're not your body, so then those types of terms and that way of talking essentially distorts how you think about yourself, and you become more of a follower. And I know it seems very subtle, but like, well, we need to talk that way. Listen, you can obviously always talk and use certain terms if you want to relate to other people who are saying things like that. But you have to understand that like, that, that's not really what you are at all. You have to keep that consciousness uh, perspective very clear. Otherwise, it's so easy to fall into a, an embedded perspective where you start thinking that you are your body. It pulls you away from the higher consciousness states that you're really capable of reaching. And you start to really experience yourself as if you are just those things. And you say that that's, that's who you are. That's your identity. That's how you define yourself. And then you'll find later, you know, points in your life when you're less uh, interested in these types of things, like you know, the sexual things, and and identifying yourself in those ways. You're like, well, why did I say those things about myself when I was younger? And like, why did I think about myself in those ways? And there's so much more to who you are than just those kinds of things. And it's true with everything. I'm a vegan. Uh, you know, I'm white. I'm black. I'm. Uh, these are all uh, such externalities that all are attached to the body. We have to really get much deeper than that and realize you are an endless self looking out through the eyes of this body and experiencing the world through the hands and, and body that the body, you know, the sensory information the body sends to you. You are none of those things. You are separate from them. And that's what we're saying here with this Akevayim concept. So let's go a little further. Based on this, we can understand why the sages of the Talmud and the Medrash wrote in Bereshus Rabbah, and this is a Medrash work from 2,000 years ago, and Vayikra Rabbah, and also, in, so it's a commentary on Bereshus and on Vayikra, Leviticus, very weird translation, I don't even like, I don't think we're going to stop 
calling it that ever, actually. We'll call it Vayikra. If anyone wants to know what Vayikra is, it's Leviticus. But Leviticus is a very weird word, so I'm not really sure why why we'd ever want to call Vayikra that. So it goes on, Shalom, Ratzah Kadosh Baruch Latil Kinab Maseveratius. The Medrash says that Hashem did not want there to be jealousy in the creations of the universe. So he created all these things, in, in, it's called the six phases of creation in the beginning of Genesis. And he, doesn't, and he didn't want there to be jealousy among anything. So what does that mean? So the first day Hashem externalized and manifest Shemaim which means the, the above and the below, the intangibles and the tangibles, called the sky and the ground. Each of those things is true, means all that. And then Basheni Rakia, on the second day, it created sort of like the background, the, we'll call it the fabric of space, um, which is above. Bashlishi Tatsheharetz, and the third day created the, 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 like some of the life on the ground. So now we had, we had day one is both above and below, sky and earth. Day two is above, right? That's space. Day three is the grass and the land, which also means some of the plant life. And also on the fourth day and the fifth day. So the fourth day was the, you know, the, the, the sun and the moon was sort of organized. And the fifth day, we have all these birds and, and animals. And then what happens? You get to the sixth day. So, right, because you see now the pattern is day one is both. Day two is uh, is things that are above space. Day three is plants, things on the ground. Day four is, again, above the sky, the, the sun and the moon, the stars. And day five is, um, sorry, phase five is uh, animals and fish. And so we have to, there's a lot to unpack here, obviously. I just want to mention that this is not, the way that it's described in the text is not the way these things actually unfolded. The text is teaching us something in general with the Torah, with, especially with the creation story. You have to understand there's a lot of information in the text about the creation story that needs to be unpacked very, very carefully. The very first sentence of the creation story literally has 70 different permutations in just one book in the writings of the sages of the Talmud from 2,000 years ago, and every single one of them is mind-blowing. So it's not something that you can just casually uh, you know, be like, oh, day one this, day two that. But within the structure of the days that are described in the text, so you have this order, and the point that the, and the Medrash looks at it and says, oh, one of the things we can extract from this is this pattern, we can say, this idea that the Medrash is sort of putting into a code, starts off saying, well, Hashem did it this way so there wouldn't be jealousy. So, you know, that, that way it's, it's, all, it's all very even. Some from, for above and some for below each day, organized back and forth, alternating. So no, no phase would be upset that the other phases had more. And then it says, Bashishi Balivroes Adam. And then the sixth phase, so Hashem wanted to create Adam. Amar, he said, Imani If I generate Adam just from the above, you know, from the, the things that are beyond the physical world, Ein Shalom Ba'olam. There won't be harmony in the world because now we have an extra phase. The sixth phase will be an above phase. So you'll now have too many above phases. It'll, they'll, they'll have more. Vimani Tachtonim. And if we, and if I will create him only from things that are from down below, so then we'll have a, a, the exact opposite problem. We'll have too many down below phases, too many ground phases. Instead, I will generate him from both, from the above and from the below. Uh, earth, dust from the ground. But I'll insert within him uh, this above, this intangible self, this consciousness. So the Medrash says this, this thing. It says this idea that there's you know, there was going to be jealousy, different phases, different parts of the creation. And so to solve that problem, the last phase, Hashem created this hybrid where you have something which is both. It's both above and below. And so that sort of like solves the jealousy problem. Now, let's just point, point out here that phases of creation do not get jealous of each other. 
This is an analogy, and it's describing what jealousy essentially is. Jealousy in a human being is an analogy for something much deeper in the universe. Jealousy in a human being is a, distorted, a distortion-based imbalance, where you have an unbalanced understanding of reality, and that now causes things to fall apart. So in your, in, like in your own personal experience, when you look at somebody else and you see something which they have and you say, oh, my perception is that that's what I'm supposed to have. That's really who I am. And so what, now you're, what you're doing now is you're disassociating yourself in some way from what you have and you're attracted to that thing in somebody else. And the reason why you do that is because you fundamentally are dissatisfied with your own life. There are things within yourself that you don't like and that you wish you, were not, you did not have them. And you over-identify yourself with those things. Let's say you have a, a particular shortcoming. Let's say you have a particular, let's say we could think of uh, just physical looks as a nice easy one. Let's say you have a physical trait like you have, I don't know, a large nose. Or let's say you have eyes that are brown and you wanted blue eyes. So you look at your friend and you say, he has blue eyes or she has blue eyes. And it's like, oh, I'm jealous of that. I want that. What does that mean? The, the structure that is always the same. All jealousy works in one way. It is that you feel you are over-identifying yourself with one aspect of your body. It could be your body or your personality or your ways of thinking or your emotional states, but whatever it is, those are different parts of your, of your body set of tools. You over-identify yourself with one of those things. You say, you think to yourself, I am a person with brown eyes. I have brown, I am brown eyes, and I don't like that, and then, which is the next part, which is that not only do you, do you over-identify yourself with a particular aspect of your body, but then you also, it's a particular aspect that you yourself do not like. So you're fixating on it, and then you and you and you wish that you did not have that because you and you wish you were not that. You think you are that. You wish you were not that. And so you look at somebody else and say, "I wish I was what that is," and that creates an emotional response of jealousy and anger because you are personally. It's not that you're just kind of like objectively like, "Oh, I think it'd be better if I had blue eyes." You're not being objective about it. You are simply emotionally immersed in your own in your own perception of your shortcomings, and then you look at somebody else and say, "I wish I was that." So. That's what jealousy is, and it causes tremendous imbalance in your character because what you're doing is you're sort of fixating in a distorted way on something about yourself, and you're also then fixating on that on something related to that in somebody else as a result, and it causes you to both relate to yourself in a distorted way and relate to the other person and other people in a distorted way as well. And that's an unbalanced, distorted perspective. And so jealousy always represents unbalanced distortions in terms of how, how things are functioning together. And that's why the, that's why the measure says... And Hashem said, if I continue to do it this way, there will be jealousy, and I want there to be shalom, which means literally harmony, that all the parts work together in harmony. And so harmony here, the way it, the way it looks, is, is essentially what we're about to describe now. You have to have this, this hybrid creature in the world in order for there to be harmony. There has to be this, this creature which is both above and below. It has the shoe that we're talking about, the body, and the neshama, the consciousness chain going up, and so uh, that's, that's, the, that's what we need to have to solve this problem. So we're going to continue with explaining exactly how that works in the next episode. And the idea here we're going to try to unpack is exactly what, is the, what exactly is the nature of that hybrid such that it now creates this balance in the universe and makes everything function properly. I hope that was clear and that you enjoyed that. And looking forward to seeing you in the next episode. Feel free to subscribe and leave reviews and, you know, stars and all those things in the podcast apps. And looking forward to seeing you next episode. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening.